1: How will we know when the seals are being broken, spoken about in the book of Revelation? In Luke chapter 8, when we see the demoniac at the tomb and he is possessed by a legion of demons, why on earth did the pigs run off the side of the cliff after entering, being entered into by the demons? And of course, hey, with everything going on in the culture, concerning LGBTQ and and so forth. How do we protect our kids in a biblical way to keep them from so many of the evils that are being perpetrated in our culture? All of these questions and others we're going to be answering on this live Q&A for Good Fight Ministries. And one of the exciting things is that many of the questions we're going to be going through today have come from our Patreon page. And we wanted to thank you guys so much for you guys who don't know this is the last live stream that we 're going to be doing with Tony Palacio in the office because Tony is moving over to Tennessee, but because of patreon we 've able to hire been able to hire two yes that's right, two editors so that we can continue to bring out more and more shows, more and more documentaries, and everything so we're excited to dig into these questions. Joe, and I am excited to be able to just sit down and go through these and to have a little bit of a goodbye to Tony as he gets ready to move to Tennessee. So with me, as always, to answer these questions and others is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel.
2: Praise the Lord, Chad. It's uh, good to be doing the show. And yeah, it's kind of bittersweet because Tony's going to continue the work that we're doing as well. Uh, he's still full-time staff with us. He's just gonna be working more remotely. Uh, he does a whole lot of stuff, so we're really appreciative of his wife and Tony. Seeing him through the window now. He just popped his head up. <laughs> uh, they're a huge blessing. And the neat thing is, we'll be doing a lot of things together. We'll still be seeing him a lot, uh, doing different things together. I think he'll be going to our Israel trip with us. Yep, thumbs up. Uh, when we do our, uh, our, we basically have a really cool documentary on Israel and the fulfillment of prophecy. And he also might be, we'll see, we're praying about it. He's praying about it starting a live stream fellowship out there, blessed hope out there, continuation of the ministry we have out here. So,
1: No, yeah, it, yeah they're, like you said, bitter, bittersweet. Uh, sweet for him, even though I'm sure he, he knows there's some bitter parts of that too, but uh, it'll be sweet for him and his family and, and everything to be able to move. But, uh, so we're going to miss him. But, uh, yeah, he's still going to be working with the ministry. As Joe mentioned, not only are we going to be heading out to Israel uh, next year, Lord willing, uh, to film a documentary, but also, guys, February 2nd through the 5th, Pastor Joe and myself and hopefully all of the Good Fight team, if we can get them out there, uh, will be out in Massachusetts for our East Coast Men's Retreat that we're doing. And I was told that already there's been a ton of signups, and we haven't even told people on Good Fight yet. We just told them on Blessed Hope Chapel on a Sunday morning, and so there's already well, here been we are a ton of yeah, here
2: we are. Uh, so, guys get fired up, man. People from all over the place. I mean, we're on the West Coast. Go to Clear to the East Coast, and there's a lot of Jesus lovers there. It's awesome to see. Great it, it, brothers.
1: It really is. And and by the way, each, each week, one of the things that we want to do is feature one of the documentaries that we have on our goodfight.org website for you guys. And the one that we are featuring this week, you'll hear it today, and you'll hear it as well on 511 News tomorrow morning when that airs. And that is Hollywood's war on God. We wanted to tell you guys about this. For those who don't know, maybe new to New Fight Minute or to good new to Good Fight Ministries, we wanted to tell you guys about it because this is such a phenomenal work, uh, Pastor Joe. I know that you were dealing with what was going on with the Da Vinci Code, and a lot of people, uh, specifically back in the early 2000s and so forth, were like getting thrown all over the place by what was going on in the Da Vinci Code. But one of the links that you noticed in not only Da Vinci Code, but so many other films was this viewpoint of Gnosticism that was seeping in unnoticed to so much of the church even going out and being entertained by so many of these films that were pushing Gnosticism. And Hollywood's War on God does just a wonderful, amazing job of expressing that and warning people and ultimately sharing the gospel through it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that particular video up uh, today because I was just interviewed by Dorian Virtue, and uh, we were interviewed by her, I think it was about a month and a half ago or two maybe now, on, you know, the videos we put out on exposing uh, Marvel and DC and so forth. And this time she wanted to talk about uh, Harry Potter. So it's kind of funny you brought that one up because she said she'd seen the Harry Potter expose, and she was encouraging her her audience to get that. And she's she was the most famous, I'm mean, sure like 70 books or so channeled, so many of them, uh, before she realized that she was a false prophet, ended up falling on her knees and come to Jesus. Her testimony is very similar to my own. And now she exposes darkness on her, her channel and so forth. But she was talking about how much she enjoyed the uh, Harry Potter expose. But I let her know there's things that are not in the Harry Potter expose that are in that video, which is so interesting, you brought that one up today. How Hollywood's was more God, and, and specifically uh, the parallels between uh, Harry Potter and the Satanist Aleister Lester Crowley. And I won't give all that away, but there's a lot going on because I know we've got a lot of questions to answer and so forth, but there's striking parallels. I'm not saying that J.K. Rowling, who wrote those books, uh, knew exactly what she was writing because she claims that Harry Potter and the story had strolled into her consciousness when she was even writing that child's book. I think it was imposed upon her by demonic entities, and uh, she's channeling spirits. The Bible calls them doctrines of demons and seducing spirits, and of course, Harry Potter is very seductive for many people. And... We quoted uh, from MTV News. MTV News mentioned because of Harry Potter and things like that. The, the boom, of, boom of witchcraft is just in Wicca has grown among the young people. We've been warning about that for some time. And MTV said, looks like the, some of these conservative groups that were warning about this, Chris, Christian groups, were right. Well, yeah, we were because it's biblical and we're warned about these things in the end times. But yeah, you'll trip out if you see that video. Uh, it'll open your eyes to a lot of popular movies where there's actually a Gnostic, diabolical, demonic theme
1: Amen, and and so these these things that we've already have out there. It's so interesting, Joe. Whether it's Hollywood's war on God, or they sold their souls for rock and roll rollers, the submerging church. You know, we've talked about this at at length. It's so interesting because it it's only ramped up. You know, and and I'll give a couple examples when it comes to this. We have we're talking about Hollywood's war on God and some of the things they were pushing. And then next thing you know, now we have an entire series on Marvel working on part three, already two parts out. One being the Antichrist agenda, agenda. That's called Marvel and DC's War on God. And you can go to marveldcexposed.com or goodfight.org to check that out. But you, it's so amazing because it's so clear. First of all, with Hollywood's War on God, a lot of it was kind of hidden and hidden messaging and a lot of that. This is Openly spoken about by the very authors right. of the comics themselves, it's it's crazy. You got Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, literally saying that <laughs> he could basically be a Lester Crowley's brother with the the witchcraft that they're doing and so forth. Right. And and you see that. And then when it comes to they sold their souls to rock and roll, some of the artists out there now, like Tyler the Creator or Lil Uzi Vert or Billy Eilish, it's like wow, it's just it's just streamlined. It, it's just it's right out there. And then. With this Emerging Church, which we featured that on last week's as well, this Emerging Church, all it's done is change its name by definition to yeah. the Progressive Christian Church and really has just become, as Brian McLaren, the heretic, Brian McLaren had, I believe, warned, it should be a warning to us, when he said that ultimately, even though people don't call themselves the Emerging Church anymore, that the ingredients are still in the pie. Absolutely. Or as Jude would say, they crept in unnoticed. Trojan horse. And it, it's really, really dangerous. And so I, I really wanted to um, I wanted to, to express that because these are crazy times that we live in, Joe. And I I'm excited to dig into so many of these things. And I know we just had a, a long meeting with with Tony leaving, and we were talking about projects that the Lord's put on our hearts to to work on. And it's it, there's exciting excitement about that. But there are a lot of questions that come up. And I did we were so excited we were sitting there we were like, man, it'd be really cool to get with our Patreons and see. What are some questions that they have? And we received way more questions that we can get to in a show, Joe. But we figure we can try to answer as many as we can. We do have uh, a number of them here. So we'll start with these one, this one right here. And this is from Sam Renfro. And he asks, in Luke chapter 8, when the demons were cast into the swine, why did they run down the cliff? And immediately drowned. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read from the text so I can give them context so you guys know what's going on. This is Luke chapter eight. You can also find it in Mark's gospel as well. But this is Luke chapter eight, starting at verse 26. Then they sailed into the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and had not put on. Any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house but in the tombs, seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him, and said in a loud voice, "What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert and Jesus asked him. What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drown. Now, something else happens right after that, Joe, with uh, the reaction of the town. But nonetheless, yes. that is kind of the backdrop for you guys who are wondering. We want to try to give you guys as much scripture as possible here so you know what we're talking about. But in Luke chapter 8, the question is, Joe, what's going on here? Why would, the, why would they jump into the swine, ask Jesus' permission, and then jump off the cliff?
2: Yeah, and then his specific question when he says, why did they—I think he's shifting from the demons now to the pigs— Running, why did they run off the cliff into the lake? You know that would be the uh, Sea of Galilee, actually, and that was across from where the Jews lived in the Gentile area where Jesus actually took his disciples on purpose. I believe just like he took them into the area where Pan was worshipped and so forth to show them, uh, to teach them about the powers of darkness and how to overcome them. So I believe it was a great learning experience for them. And I believe he, I believe the reason Jesus did, and I know that wasn't the question that was asked, was asked. I believe Jesus gave that permission to demonstrate his power not only over uh, the demonic entities, and the power to deliver uh, one who had been cutting himself because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, just like the thief, Uh, and he's been on destruction, but to show, I believe Jesus gave them permission, and I believe he knew what would happen, and it was an example of him showing how evil and diabolical the powers of evil are, and also that Satan, it's kind of comforting to know that the demonic realm, they can't really do anything without God's permission and that God allows certain things to happen because we live in a real world with real powers of darkness, and we're here, we're all being tested to make choices as to who will follow, the Lord or the demonic realm, and Satan. Uh, And as believers, we need to put on the full armor of God. But I believe Jesus was demonstrating his power of mercy and his power over the powers of darkness. He was also revealing the powers of of darkness and how malevolent they are, how wicked and perverse they are in in driving this man to self-destruction, uh, obviously, with the consent of his will to a degree, he has superhuman strength beyond human. Uh, I wouldn't call it really superhuman strength, super in the sense of beyond human. He was breaking his fetters, his chains over and over again. Uh, that happens to a lot of people in these days, even to our day. In our day, there's people that open themselves up through different, like angel does, contacting angelic beings or fallen angels, demon, demonic beings, uh, through different hallucinogenic drugs like ayahuasca, uh, you know, on and on. And forms of pharmakeia where they open themselves up to demonic the demonic world. I was talking to a friend of mine who's deputy sheriff and uh, Chad, you know, great great brother named Johnny, and he was talking about how uh, yeah they call that psych strength uh, you know in, in his profession, and it's usually people that are you know demonized or totally taken over and they have power that's beyond human. Anyway, to the question as to why specifically did the pigs run into uh, you know kill themselves uh, some would say it's because that was the invention of deviled ham you know but I don't think that's accurate uh, <laughs> probably the answer we don't really know because it doesn't really say this is a specific reason this happened we don't have a parallel text uh, that we have parallel text it's recorded in a few of the gospel accounts we don't have a parallel text that says this is why the pigs did this of course but I know uh, the one asking the question is saying you know what would we surmise based on the text of Scripture and I think we get somewhat of an idea of what the answer may be to a degree, uh, and we got to always separate opinions from "Thus saith the Lord." And this is simply opinions mixed with some scripture that lend themselves, uh, perhaps, to to this opinion being accurate. But I do believe we can understand as to uh, what was going on there, as to why they were they sought permission to be cast into the pigs. We know that much, and I think that's because in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty nine. They asked Jesus, are you here to torment us before our time, you know? And they knew they were destined to eternal judgment. Uh, They're fallen angelic entities, uh, and they deserve judgment. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, that uh, hell, you know, Gehenna, uh, was created for the devil and his angels. They know where they're headed. They know they're going to the pit. And they also know that some angels are already locked up in a, a, a pit, so to speak, even before the final judgment because it says that in 2 Peter chapter 2. It says that also in the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, we read, I think it's around verse 6 or 7, verse 6, I think, and the angels who do not keep their own domain, it says, but they abandon their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds uh, or chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. They're being reserved, it says, for the judgment of the great day. So they're awaiting their eternal judgment. So some angels are already bound awaiting their time of torment and eternal fire. Others are Loose and Jesus allowed them to be loosed along with Satan who roams the earth and goes to and fro uh, seeking to devour people and he also accuses us before the Father in heaven. He seeks permission. Uh, Jesus said to Peter that Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat but I've prayed that your faith will not fail. In other words, he was going to try but I'm going to give you victory. Uh, So there's this cosmic battle, spiritual battle that goes on and uh, perhaps they wanted to be cast into the pigs because they wanted more time, so they wouldn't be, uh-oh, what if we're being judged? Why is Jesus here, you know? Are we being judged before our time, you know? Which lets you know that they have an idea of what time it is, uh, prophetically to a degree. And Jesus permitted them to go into the pigs, and, that's, and they don't like to wander too often. They like to create havoc, and they probably wanted Chad to stay in that region because they're obviously they wanted to be in that region. They're possessing this demoniac, or he becomes a demoniac because legion, a bunch of spirits are possessing him, and they're able to terrify the people around them and demonstrate their powers by him breaking his fetters and so forth and terrify the people. Well, by rushing the pigs, if they inspire that, a couple different things could be happening here. It could be the pigs becoming possessed as a herd by this legion of spirits panicked and freaked out and were just what we'd say for all intents and purposes on a human level with regard to animals experienced some type of insanity and they just ran for their lives in panic and that's how that happened possibly or it could be that these demonic entities were able to steer them even as they inspired the man to cut himself to bring destruction and they brought destruction upon all these swine uh, uh, to further terrify the community that they were in. We know when Jesus gave the illustration of Jerusalem who had rejected him Oh, uh, and he used the illustration of a man who was delivered from a demon, that that demon would roam in dry places until it found seven spirits more evil or wicked than itself and re- would re- repossess the man, making his destruction even worse. Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem because you've been delivered so radically by Jesus' exorcism ministry and his truth ministry. But guess what? Uh, they weren't accepting Christ. So it was their fall was to be great. In 70 AD, it came radically. Uh, so uh, it could be, I think, personally... Uh, It's either a result of the panic upon pigs or the demonic entities steering them to that end, and then would still try to remain in that region and possess other people and turn people to the powers of darkness.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think we even see how the enemy used it here, starting in verse 34, when you see what happened with the whole town and what happens with Jesus. It says in verse 34 of Luke 8, "...when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country." The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and their surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for them. So one of the ways the enemy used it here was to get Jesus out of there too. Yeah. <laughs> um was hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna get Jesus out of here. And so you have all these pigs, their swine, their currency, their money just dying out there and looking at him, they're like, We gotta get this guy out yeah, of here. Yeah, there's
2: a huge irony there, isn't there, Chad? The irony is that they're more concerned about this. There's this demoniac who is this, yep. this man. Now he's in his right mind. You think the town rejoicing, praise God. But they were more into their property and Jesus was more into the person. That's when you talk about abortion right now, it breaks the heart of God that all these kids are being aborted and, and so forth. But people are more like my life, my rights and so forth. We see the same thing going on and we see Satan's behind the same kind of uh, diabolical uh, uh, situation. So it, it's interesting. We can't know for sure all the motives that were going on there, but we do know that ultimately Jesus was glorified. He told the man to go tell his family how he'd been delivered and so forth. And and some speculate, and I'm just saying this isn't my viewpoint. It's a possibility because I can't say thus say the Lord to it. So I say, uh, maybe that the pigs perhaps belonged to a Jewish man who was forbidden to be raising pigs and, and plus eating them. Uh, and he was a sellout and uh, re- rejecting Yahweh and that Jesus allowed this to happen uh, to bring judgment upon his profession. That's somewhat speculative. It's a possibility. We don't know. We might find out, wow, wow, it, oh, it was this guy. Wow, interesting. But we don't know that for sure. But uh, we can know this. Chad said that. Uh, but I believe Jesus accomplished his mission. It wasn't like, Jesus, man, I wish I could stay there. Yeah. If he wanted to stay there, he could have. But at the same time, it was used to that end uh, in regard to the powers of darkness, maybe perhaps their motive, you know?
1: Yeah. Amen. No, without a doubt. All right, Joe. So the next one, this one is uh, a little more in a little more detail, I guess we'll have to get into a little bit. And it's interesting, Joe, because I'm going to ask this question. And when I posted that we were going to be doing this episode, that was what we titled this one. But it was very interesting. A lot of people, Joe, and and I know I, I uh, I was speaking in another state and somebody had come up to me and their viewpoint was that. The seals have already been broken, that this is already going on in terms of the book of Revelation, and the question that we have is what, how we can really know that. And so Charles Hodge from our Patreon page asks, how long into the seals being opened do you think we will be before we can definitely say that the seals in the book of Revelation, one of the, the six seals, that they are actually being broken? What are some of the things or... Maybe what are some characteristics of what's happening around us that we can say, whoa, we know this is definitely some seals. Because a ton of people, some people believe they started opening at the time of Jesus, and some people with COVID-19, right, and so forth, um, they think we're, you know, first, second, third, fourth seal, you know, somewhere around there. So what are some clear-cut examples, maybe from the book Revelation, that would say, hey, this is how we'll know Uh, that these seals are actually being broken open.
2: Yeah this is another area where we're given prophecy for reasons so we're supposed to look at it so I don't fault those who say hey they've been being open for so many years and so forth because I can see how you could easily have that understanding uh, because uh, they're not super defined as far as a whole lot of specifics Uh, and uh, there's seven seals and of course in Revelation 5 the preceding chapter uh, John's weeping because there's a seven sealed scroll that no one can open in heaven or on earth or under the earth and he's weeping but then he's told by the angelic being or the elder uh, to stop weeping for the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed or conquered so as to open the the, 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 seal, the scrolls and pop the seals and, and then Jesus takes the scroll from the right hand of the Father and he begins to pop the seals in Revelation 6, the first couple of verses. And then you have, you know, seven seals but it starts with the four, first four seals which is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And these seals describe, you know, the white horse and these different horses, and they describe everything from taking peace from the earth and, and war and, and and famine and disease and so th- and these kinds of things follow war, of course. Uh, so since war uh, is, you know, since famine and, and and disease and so forth are usually precipitated by war, uh, that's exactly how it's laid out in the Book of Revelation because that's a world phenomenon. But this is going to happen in a in a global on a global. Uh, Way So uh, some would say, hey, we're not at the point of worldwide famine yet. Uh, You know, when you look at the, it's like, you know, it costs, you know, barley is like a third the price of of wheat, you know, Uh, and that's horse food. And people are, you know, it takes a whole day's wages to just get a little bit of wheat, you know, and uh, you get a little bit more barley because it's not as yummy, but it'll cause you to subsist. We don't seem to be experiencing famine in much of the world to that point yet although there are always places where there's famine so people could say, well, this is happening here and this is happening there. And I don't begrudge when people say, hey, I think we're in the seals. I have brothers that believe we the first few seals have, have been opened and, and I, I listen to their viewpoints. They're not able to say, well, it says this very specific thing would happen and it would look specifically like this and, and, and then this would look specific like this and look, it's happened. It's hard to know because a lot of people believe when the world war started, because we personally in our ministry and we have a pretty strong conviction on this, is that when you look at the Matthew chapter 24 and 25 or Mark 13 or Luke 21, the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus describes the end times, he starts with false Christ and false prophets, right? Bringing, you know, doing signs and wonders and deceiving people and so forth. And he picks that back up again. I'm kind of going forward in that as well. But he starts off with, see to it that no one deceives you. And then he talks about wars or rumors of wars. He talks in, about famine that's mentioned actually in Luke. Uh, and he talks about uh, these different things that would take place. Uh, and it's interesting because we see the seals. John was the only gospel writer that didn't write about all the Olivet discourse, like I just mentioned, but he got the book Revelation. And if you go through Revelation chapter 6, you go through the seals, they have an incredible parallel with Matthew chapter 24. You can see the same basic outline. Even the saints being persecuted in Matthew 24, they'll put you to death. You know, Jesus said, they'll kill you for my name's sake. And in Revelation under the fifth seal, the the, the souls of those who've been slain because the word of God are crying out how long will God to avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth and so forth so the parallels are really stunning and I believe it's very so when you look at it that way okay that lends some credence to the idea because when Jesus talked about wars and rumors of wars nation against nation and then he said kingdom against kingdom Uh, some scholars understand the kingdom there to be a conglomeration of nations against other conglomerations of nations, which would be like World War One and World War Two. So some believe that the seals began to be opened at that time. Uh, and then there's been famines and diseases since those times and so forth. Uh, I don't personally have that view with a strong conviction, but at the same time, I want to be humble before the Lord and say, okay, you know, because when Jesus starts opening the seals, uh, a lot of stuff just starts going down. And my my personal conviction is but when I, when I say this I say, okay, you know what let's keep our eyes on things because I always say keep your eyes on what's going on okay well, that's why we have done video exposes against the re, about the re, great reset you know that stuff's resurfaced again as well That's why we've done vi- videos with Bill Gates and him working with you know universities and so forth to develop a, a system that's you know number uh, a system that uh, keeps track of you digitally and, and to what vaccines you've had and so forth and we're keeping an eye on those things as well. Uh, even though there seems to be a, a slow and a ebb, who knows, that can come back anytime. So, we want to keep our eyes on all these various things. Uh, so, either way, my time frame is still to watch for the major factors that will show us that we are in the tribulation period. And I personally look at in Revelation chapter 6, 1 and 2, the very first seal, I believe that is a reference to the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And there'll be these false Christs and false prophets that will emerge. They're, they're the ones who begin the great tribulation period in Matthew chapter 24. Or I should say the birth pains that lead up to the great tribulation period because we talk about that 70th year of Daniel where Daniel talked about that seven-year covenant that the Antichrist makes with the many nations. It's in the middle of that 70th week, that last that, that last three and a half years, right before they, that, that, that precipitates the three and a half years where he breaks the covenant, right? And he sets himself up in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God and that'll be when the Antichrist reveals himself to the entire world. That says the evil one at that time, he'll be revealed. But in the first three and a half years, the covenant will have, have have been made and there'll be probably relative peace, people saying peace and safety to one degree or another before he sets himself up. And even then they'll be championing him, who can make war with him and so forth. But this is what I see. This is my personal viewpoint. And it's subject to change because prophecy, in hindsight, becomes 2020, right? So I, I know what the scriptures say, but as far as when it happens, I never like to pick dates and say this is specifically that, unless I know this is specifically that. I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. I know that He was born in this world. I know He specifically died and He rose again, no doubt about it. I know Israel became a nation again, May Fourteenth, nineteen forty-eight. Thus saith the Lord, that's the word of God. We can say these things for, with great assurance after they've happened. But what we do have is the clues from Scripture, and in Revelation chapter six, I believe we very well may know or have a good idea. Uh, when the Antichrist emerges because in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, you have a white horse rider who goes forth conquering and to conquer. Okay, He parallels Christ in some ways, but I don't believe he's Christ. I believe he's it's referring to the Antichrist. So like Jesus who comes in Revelation 19, several chapters later, Chad, uh, 13 chapters later, uh, he's on a white horse. Like Jesus who comes to prevail and conquer, he's conquering, going forth conquering to conquer. But the kind of things that he brings to the world are this devastation, and by the way, Chad, as you know, that they're waiting for the last Imam, the, ma, the Hamadi, uh, some of the, uh, the not the uh, Islam, Shiites, but yeah. they're not Sunnis, but the Shiites, and yeah. they're waiting for him to rule and, and conquer the Jews and destroy the cross and so forth. And they're waiting for him to come on a white horse. They've got depictions of that. I believe this is all paving the way for the Antichrist. But the thing that makes this, this guy and the white horse, because some commentators say, oh, this is Jesus. No, that's not Jesus. Tribulation doesn't start with Jesus conquering. Revelation chapter 6, 1 and 2 describes him in ways that are radically contrasted to Jesus. And in fact, he comes on a white horse to conquer, but guess what? He comes with a bow to conquer. In Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, he comes back with a sword protruding from his mouth. He destroys the beast and the false prophet with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. He comes, the, the, the Antichrist comes bef- at the beginning of the tribulation, Revelation 6, 1 and 2. Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 6, this, this guy, uh, this, this writer, he has one crown that's given to him, which is a depiction of authority being given to him. In Revelation 13, it says the dragon, who is Satan, gives his authority to the beast. He's given a crown, and that crown in the Greek is a stephanos, which is a victor's crown, conqueror's crown. Uh, in contrast, Jesus doesn't have one crown. He has many crowns in Revelation 19. And his many crowns are not stephanoses, they are Diadem, diadema, which is uh, royal crowns, because he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I personally believe, uh, and I, and by the way, I keep this in mind. I still say, okay, if these are the seals, keep your eyes open, because what do we have to be concerned about as believers? Either way, we believe the time is very late and prophecy is being fulfilled, and it very well be that we are in the birth pains. And if we, if we say the birth pains are the seals, then the seals could already have been being opened, right? Uh, if we're waiting for a specific seal. To be a jump in the birth pain situation of the Antichrist going forth to con- conquer and to conquer. Uh, what I think you'd see at that point is if there's a dictator that arises and he starts conquering nations in the name of peace, and through peace Daniel says he'll destroy many, and the people say peace and safety, and he thinks like, it seems like he's making the world good because, or at least from a lot of people's vantage point, probably not those being conquered, right? Then you got to look at that guy and say, is this the white horse rider? Uh, right now I don't see false Christ and false prophets conquering a whole bunch of nations. So I don't put it really specifically in the category of just general false price and false profits. This guy comes forth conquering nations. And that's what I'm looking for. So that's just my personal conviction that we're perhaps not there yet. But I say that uh, recognizing that this is, this is not like very super specific other than some of the things I just mentioned. Uh, so at the same time, I'm one of those guys where I say I'm looking for this to be fulfilled uh, and watching for it. But at the same time, if we're already in, in some of the seals, uh, I'm not going to have a hard time with however God wants to do it. So either way, I'm watchful for what the scriptures say is next on the agenda. That's why it's kind of interesting when you get the whole Red Heifer thing and the Temple Institute and this whole thing about building the temple because Antichrist will sit in the temple, show himself that he is God. All those things keep my spiritual and prophecy antennae up. And they shed yours as well.
1: Oh, amen. Uh, Look up always, you know, for your redemption draw nigh. Amen. And it it is so important to have, you know, Joe, we've been talking about this a lot. Uh, Tommy's working the thing back there, so we've been doing the young adult study. And we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, and it's so interesting how so much of the practical nature of Paul's teaching of how they should live godly in Christ Jesus, Mm. how the will, what is God's will for their life, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that they would abstain from sexual immorality, their sanctification is God's will for their life. But all that is piggybacked on the eschaton, on the end times, on recognizing that ultimate salvation that we're going to be with Jesus forever and how that is going to look. And some of the warnings that happen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 after they're already confused about, hey, people have died and are they not going to be with Jesus? And Paul comes and corrects that, right? Uh, and tells them, no, 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 they're going to be caught up. We're going to be caught up with them to meet them in the air. And then he gives us some better timing understanding of when that's going to take place in chapter 5. And then it gets even more clear cut in 2 Thessalonians. But Just this idea of living a life completely in Christ and saying, I want to follow him and I want to do the things that that the new covenant describes believers, what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be walking in the truth, and we should do that in light of his coming. And eschatology, end-time theology, should not be a secondary issue for people. It shouldn't be something that you set off on the side because when you think about I don't want to, you know, get on a pulpit here, but when you think about 1 Thessalonians, this might be the first letter that Paul wrote as Scripture in the New Testament. And when he's writing that, he's writing that to a brand new church that were just pagans not too long ago. He brings about, talks about the things that took place in the book of Acts. We can go back and read it in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17 and so forth. He brings up these memories of starting that church And I've always, I found it so interesting because he commends them over and over again for trusting the words that he was giving them, not as simply the words of man, but actually the words of God. And if you remember, those in Thessalonica originally in Acts chapter 17 are not as noble as those in Berea. But now all of a sudden there's been a change and they're looking at the word of God properly and they're esteeming the word of God properly. And now they're like, okay, we're having these issues. How do we fix them? And so my only point is to say don't be the don't be people that push eschatology to the side and say, well, I don't want to get distracted by Amen. that. Too many apologists allow that to happen. Uh, too many churches, if you go look, one of the most embarrassing things, and I, I'm telling you, it should be just earmarked as I probably shouldn't attend that fellowship, is if they pay no attention to end times theology. I'm sorry, when I see the, I'm reading 1 Thessalonians, and I'm reading Paul dedicating so much of that book to talk about the end times, and this is a brand new church. That's like 2,000 the, years
2: ago. How much more now should we focus on it? Who
1: do you think you are? I'm yeah. sorry to say, you know what? Let's have my points of emphasis. There's an entire book of Revelation, by the way. Yeah. The, the longest, the longest discourse that we have in the New Testament by Jesus is End times. The end times. All, the the, all of that discourse. A lot of people want to go to the Beatitudes, and they're beautiful, right? The New Covenant, the you know, understanding We preach all that, but
2: preach the whole council of God, the Bible says. <laughs> the
1: whole council of God. So it maybe it's something as Thessalonians have been meditating on those. Uh, those texts a lot. It's something that's, that's really good, bothered me as to see the churches push that aside and act like that shouldn't be something that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
2: we just did a couple messages a few weeks ago, a uh, couple sermons I preached in a row on the second coming of Christ. Oh, amen. You might I love check those out, messages. Fire yeah. you up.
1: Yeah, I'm Blessed Hope Chapel. You guys can check those out. Um, it, it was a lot of that joy that we're, we should have knowing that our Savior is returning for us. It's a really and, exciting thing. And, you know, not thing. to
2: plug too many messages, but we just did a message Sunday on the on Training Up Your Children your parent on on training up in the in the fear of the Lord and we don't Well, have I was gonna plug that Lord. with a
1: different question that we have tonight but but nonetheless we okay. do have another good question um, for 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 us going forward and this one this one actually this was uh, sent by Matt Smith on our patreon page if you guys want to go check that out it's patreon.com good fight but uh, I've been asked this before too Joe so this would be a really good uh, a really good text to kind of discuss here uh, and a lot of it has to do with the wordage that's used. But they said, what would be the non Calvinistic or Calvinist interpretation of Acts chapter 13, verse 48? And I'm going to read that isolated from the context. Uh, for and by you, the Joe. way,
2: remember, Chad's isolating this from the context. And uh, in, in Calvinism, this would be one of their most popular. Proof text. Oh, one hundred Proof texts are called proof texts and proof texting because often texts can be isolated from the context. They seem some way on the surface, but when we look at the context, context out of uh, a text out of context is a proof text. And we'll we'll check out the context of this verse.
1: Amen. Verse forty-eight of Acts chapter thirteen. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. So, Joe, I guess if I'm giving you the argument for your counter argument it's only those who were appointed to eternal life were the ones that who, who that believed so therefore if i'm a calvinist i'm going to say that it's because god worked in their heart broke their wanter right or fix their wanter to make them want him and because they're appointed to eternal life god is the one who ultimately gave them the desire to believe that would be the best way that i could describe that interpretation. If you were a
2: Calvinist. If right. I was a Calvinist. Yeah, and and by the way, uh, notice that you had an explanation from the Calvinist it, because meaning this says this because everybody has you know their understanding of what it means. It does definitely say say uh, you know they were appointed to eternal life. The question is, in what way were they appointed? You know, and that's where we have to look at the whole. Uh, we need to look at the immediate context because context is king. And when you see the immediate context, it becomes clear that is not what's being said there. Okay, I'll just say that emphatically. Uh, and then you look at the paradigm of Scripture from Genesis Revelation, uh, the New Covenant, and so forth, uh, that we're in, and what God's will is, what His heart is, and, and, and how He holds people responsible for not having eternal life in the end. And Peter says that God doesn't will that any would perish, but that all, what? Uh, would come to repentance. Amen? And so when we look at the paradigm of Scripture... Let's understand what's going on here. And I'll just give you, and it's going to make so much sense to anybody who has ears to hear, I believe, and eyes to see, is the context here is Paul is dealing with people that are accepting versus those who are rejecting his gospel declaration. And, uh, and when you look at the whole paradigm of scripture, he's specifically addressing Gentiles who are called God-fearers there. Uh, they're God-fearing Gentiles who believe the gospel. And prior to them believing the gospel, they were already predisposed. Their hearts were already, they were among the synagogues with the Jews because they feared God and they wanted to know the one true God. However, many of the Jews prior to this time had already hardened their hearts against Jesus, had hardened their hearts against the gospel of Jesus Christ, which didn't happen too many years before this in Acts chapter 13. And they were already hardened to the gospel uh, and, and the gospel presentation to Jews as a nation Were And that spirit of stupor had been upon them, which where in the Bible says they closed their own hearts in Acts chapter 28. They closed their own eyes and ears, so to speak. So it's kind of interesting when you look at the entire biblical context. Is Paul saying that God didn't want the Jews, didn't want to appoint them to eternal life because he wanted them to be blind and down forever and didn't really want them to sincerely come to faith? Or are they being given over to a hardened heart because of the rejection of the goodness and the grace and love of God and given what's called in uh, theology a judicial hardening whereby God, someone hardens their heart against the Lord and they keep rejecting the light, they become harder and harder as a result of them rejecting God's light. That same sun uh, will melt wax, but it'll harden clay, you know. Uh, And the same thing is true. You could put something in a hot, you know, put carrots in Hot water, they get soft. Put an egg in hot water, it gets hard. And different people react to God's grace and his love in different ways. So the question, Chad, is because it's the Jews here in this particular context, in, in Paul's ministry here, who will have hearted hearts. It's the Jews who reject him. Did Jesus not want the Jews to be saved? Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. And if you go back just prior to this time and you see the interplay with Jesus and the Jews, it's very, very clear he wants them to believe but he's given us free moral agency. We have what we call libertarian free will. That means you you can you, you have the opportunity to do something different than that which you have done. You're not predetermined to make our decisions and God blames you for making a decision that you couldn't choose but to do, which really wouldn't be a decision at all, you'd just be a robot. So if you go prior to this time and you go to Matthew chapter 22, and we look at we're talking about the doctrine of election here. You know who's chosen who's not and and why are they chosen why are they not there's so many scriptures that are very clear that make it very very clear that election is conditional upon faith in fact peter warns believers if they fall away and get to the point where they forget that they were saved from their past sins washed cleansed from their past sins peter he's not a calvinist he recognizes that can happen second peter chapter one they forget that they were even washed from their past sins He warns them not to do that. He's not talking about non-believers there. He's talking about those who were washed. He gets to the point where they forget they were washed from their past sins. He goes on to tell them to grow in their faith. And he says to make their calling and election sure. Ratify your calling election. You have a decision to make regarding your election. God's called you, but many are called Jesus said few are chosen. And Chad, when we go back to the Jews and we look at that text where Jesus says many are called, few are chosen, we have Jesus talking about this great big wedding feast that a father throws for his son, a king throws for his son. And people are invited, but they refuse to come. They're too busy. They don't want to come. And Jesus says in the, in the parable, they were unwilling to come. And then, if, you know, verses later on verse 14, uh, there's a guy there that comes in his own, uh, own wedding garment. He does refuses to wear the king's ready garment. Uh, and in doing so, he's coming in his own righteousness. And Jesus has him thrown out hand and foot into outer darkness and says, many are called, few are chosen. So if people say, I'm going to come on my own terms and reject the way of salvation, they're called, but if they, don't, if they don't submit to God, they'll be rejected. And those who refuse to come, and it says they were unwilling to come in Matthew chapter 22, this is verses 1 through 14, specifically says they were unwilling to come, uh, they were called, but they weren't chosen because they were unwilling to come. In fact, well, the question now is, did Jesus sincerely want them to come? And our Calvinistic brothers and sisters would say ultimately God wanted to damn them from eternity past. And otherwise, He would have given, or the chat said He would have fixed their want where they wouldn't to, want to come. But no, the Lord wants, wills that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Second Peter 3 9. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 4, God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And when people are damned, it says they're without excuse. In fact, the Lord Jesus says, or I'm sorry, the prophet in Isaiah speaks of God's heart. What more could have I done than what I've done for you, you know? And so I'd say this. Uh, we, we do know it was his will for them to come. How do we know that? Just a few verses later, first of all, he's inviting them. He's not an insincere God, okay? An in insincere king. And then in chapter 23, we read something quite fascinating, Chad. Uh, Jesus says that the hen gathers her chicks together. And he's talking to the Jewish leaders in, in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, uh, how I would have gathered you together as a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. Mm-hmm. Your ch- I would have gathered your children together as a hen does her chicks, but you were unwilling. And... Ah, that was his heart, but they were unwilling. He pronounced all these woes upon them. Uh, But what was his heart? To gather them so they could be chosen. He calls them, but he's not going to force them. He's not a cosmic rapist as R.C. Sproul Sr. has called God. He knocks on the heart. You have to open the heart. So as we look at the background, it's very important to understand this. So when you get to Romans, which a lot of our Calvinist friends love to use. I love Romans. When you understand its proper context, it's one of the strongest books against unconditional election. In fact, Paul begins to deal with the Jews and their unbelief in chapter two after he deals with the gentiles and their unbelief in worshiping idols and so forth in chapter one and chapter two he says to the, to the jews you judge these gentiles he's basically saying but you yourselves he says you know he, he says he says yeah he says that it's god's kindness he says the jews who are rejecting the messiah It says god's kindness that leads you to repentance in other words god wants them to come to repentance he's showing them grace he's Jesus died for them. He's the Holy Spirit's convicting them, but it's your, it's His kindness that leads to repentance. But you're rejecting that kindness. You're hardening your hearts. In fact, let me read the text: Romans two three. But do you suppose, O man, when you pass judgment on those who produce such things or practice such things, mean the Gentiles, and do the same yourself? meaning you Jews do the same thing that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you not? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness? and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance that's God's heart many are called as the hen gathers the chicks but they were unwilling he says but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart you are stored up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God So it's really interesting because then when you go a little further in Romans, you see that God was crying out to them. Just as Jesus mentioned, we read this in Romans chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. Listen to this. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me and I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So God is pleading with them. In fact, Paul says, Chad, and you're familiar with the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that the Holy Spirit's in us. God is in us, begging people, as it says in the NASB, begging people to be reconciled to God. And he says, all day long, my hands were stretched out for you. Well, wait a minute. How come they're damned then? Well, listen, to he's quoting Isaiah chapter 65. Now, check this out. Really, really heavy. I've spread out my hands all day long to rebellious peoples, Isaiah 65, verse 2. Uh, he says, I, I've... Stretch out my hands all day long to a, a rebellious people. And what's interesting, he says this, who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. Well, why is he stretching out his hands? Because he loves them, he wants them to come. But how come they're destined to destruction? Because they reject his sincere call. Well, does it say that in the text? Absolutely. Look at verse 12. I I destine you, ooh, people are destined, but why are they destined? I will destine you for the sword and all you will bow down to the slaughter because i called but you did not answer so when people talk about people being destined for damnation or salvation it's conditional salvation election salvation predestination is conditional on our responses to god so all day long he's pleading with them but they need to destruction why how what because you did not because i called and you did not answer I spoke and you did not hear, and you did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. He destines people based on their choices as to whether or not they accept his overtures of love and invitation or reject them. So when you look at this in its biblical context, before you get to uh, when we're talking about Acts 13, we're talking about Jews who are rejecting the word, they're rejecting the word of God's truth. And, and and Jesus clearly wanted the Jews to be saved in Luke seven thirty, it says uh, that you know and it's a really powerful verse it talks about the scribes and the lawyers who rejected God's purpose for themselves and refused to be baptized by John in John 1 it says John came forth that through his testimony about Jesus that all people would be saved but we read that they rejected God's purpose for themselves and refused to be baptized by John so God had a purpose for their salvation now if they reject him guess what He has an antecedent purpose as well because ultimately he will not be thwarted and his his objective is whoever will may be saved but if you reject him he's still going to be glorified in your in 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 showing that he's a just god so it's interesting chad when you get now to acts 13 and now we squeeze it into the more we looked at the paradigm of scripture and how god's dealing with the jews that are not believing and by the way i'll give you one more one more a couple more verses that are just seal the deal in john chapter 5 verse 34 you know jesus says very very clearly to the the Pharisees and religious leaders I'm saying these things to you that you may be saved I'm saying these things that you may be saved that's his objective but in verses 39 and 40 he says you search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life but you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life that's the heart of the father that's the heart of Jesus he only speaks the words that the Father has given him he says I'm saying these things that you may be saved but why aren't they saved because they're unwilling to come to him that they might have life it's not because he doesn't want them to be saved because he's an evil God in some way. No, it's because they reject his goodness and his invitation. So when you get to Acts chapter 13, uh, Chad, we're talking about Jews, but we're also talking about proselytes. We're talking about Gentile God-fears yeah. who are already predisposed to want to follow the Lord. And the gospel is going from the not just the Jews, but now it's spreading to the Gentiles. And it's interesting. Listen to what we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 16 I also read verse 26 so you get to understand what's going on here so paul stood and lifted up his hand to quiet them and started speaking men of israel he said and you god-fearing gentiles listen to me two different groups there and god-fearing gentiles uh fellow children of abraham and you god-fearing gentiles now i'm at verse 26 same thing pretty much uh fellow children of abraham and you god-fearing gentiles it is to us that the message of salvation has been sent. So the message of salvation was sent to the Jews first and now also to the Gentiles. Then we, back, we go for a little, little further down in verse 38 and 39. We read, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you He wants them to be forgiven. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. That is good news, glorious news. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Then in verse 40, he says this. Take care. Now he's warning them to make a right decision. Take care uh, that what the prophets have said does not happen to you, meaning that you aren't among those that this happens to Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am doing, going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Then now listen to what we read in some of the pertinent verses, verses 40 through 44 through 48. Now we're approaching the the verse in question, but we're getting biblical paradigm context, Genesis Revelation, and we're also getting the context of the immediate context in the book of Acts, and specifically Acts 10. And thirteen. This is in Acts, uh, I'm sorry, verses 44 and 48 through 48. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. He says, they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first since you, but then he says, since you reject it. And he says, it's for salvation for you. So the forgiveness of your sins, you already said that. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, see, they themselves were rejecting eternal life. The onus is on them. We now turn to the Gentiles. And for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now the question here is in what way were they appointed we all agree that they were appointed to eternal life in some way the question is Did god willy-nilly saying i don't want one two three four you're not getting in the door five six you're in a fix you know seven eight nine ten eleven you're coming to heaven was it random arbitrary uh or was it a did it have something to do with the response to the gospel well paul says that we're chosen in christ before the foundation of the world in ephesians 1 and that we're predestined according to his plan that those who would believe would be sealed. Amen. So predestination isn't done in a vacuum. It's not arbitrary. It's according to his gospel plan. What's his plan? Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever rejects the gospel will be damned. And they're appointed to eternal life based on what? Based on the fact that they accepted the gospel and they were predisposed because they were God-fearers. Prior to accepting the gospel, they truly feared God and they truly wanted to follow him. And therefore, when the gospel was presented, they embraced it. Well, what does fearing God have to do with it? Everything. You see, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Later, the Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Job says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you fear the Lord, your heart opens up to the Lord and you fear him and you accept, you accept the light that he gives you, then he gives you more light. And how do we know this is what's going on here? Because it's very clear. Just before this, there was a God-fearer uh, named Cornelius. He the same thing with Lydia. Cornelius, he wanted to worship God. He was worshiping the best he knew and understood. He gave alms, you know, and and he, he, he to the poor and so forth. And he he prayed, he sought the Lord, but he wasn't saved. He could be saved by his own righteousness. But God moved heaven and earth. He moved Peter, he used angels and visions, you know, and so forth, to bring Peter and Cornelius together so Cornelius could hear the gospel. You know what Cornelius uh, Peter said when he realized, "Wow, God's opened the door to the Gentiles." Listen to what he said. Very pertinent. Then Peter began to speak. He said, I know, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism. You don't want to predestine some to salvation and some to damnation. That's not, he's not a God that's partial, that plays favorites. It's for whosoever will. Then Peter began to speak. He said, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism. I wish my Calvinist brothers and sisters would understand that. Verse 35, he says, but welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what's right. So those who fear him, he welcomes them and brings them. And what is actually going on here? And I think this is this is very, 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 very powerful when you think it through. And that is this. And I love this 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 scripture. Uh, it's one of my favorite scriptures. And it's in a it's in a chapter twenty five of the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, it says in chapter twenty five, verses twelve through fourteen, that those who fear him, he instructs them in the way. Really, yeah. And then in verse fourteen, it says. The friendship of God is with those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. Catch that? So when the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom, it says specifically in chapter 25, verse 14 of Psalms that those, the friendship of the Lord is those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. Well, Cornelius feared the Lord, right? These God-fearers feared the Lord. Peter says, I realize now that those who fear him are welcome to him and God made his covenant known to them. And since they feared the Lord, that means they wanted to be right with him. and They realized that Jesus died for their sins. They could be forgiven for their sins. They embraced it. So how were they appointed to eternal life? Very clear. They're appointed to eternal life because God knows who's, who's, who fears him and who, does, who will fear him and who will not fear him. He knows who will accept him and who will reject him. In fact, it's very interesting, Chad. Uh, There's a great quote I have from, from uh, Brian Abashano. He's a Greek scholar. He's a, uh, a New Testament scholar as well. And he says of this word, appointed, I quote him, The best understanding of ta- tasso, translated appointed in, in Acts 13:48 is that it refers to Gentiles who were in a position for eternal life, ready for eternal life, or even intent on obtaining eternal life, particularly in contrast to the Jews of the same episode who opposed Paul and rejected the gospel, and so were, had judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. That's verse 46. And that the most accurate translation of the phrase in question would be something like this. As many as were disposed to eternal life believed, or as many as were aligned for eternal life believed, or as many as who were positioned for eternal life believed. Well, how were they positioned for eternal life? They feared God. And if you you take it away from them being positioned, God appoints them based on him knowing that they would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, verse 29, for whom he foreknew... He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Who are the ones He foreknows? Verse 28, right before that, God works all things together for the good for those who love Him for the call according to His purpose for whom He foreknew. The ones who respond to Him and love Him and embrace Him are the ones He appoints to eternal life.
1: Yeah, and and guys, I... Feel so bad because we've only gotten to three of the questions, but uh, we're going to wrap up here. And um, we'll, do another, keep... we'll, do, we'll do
2: the rest and some others in another episode.
1: A- and another episode. And we'll set up another live for you guys. And I-, I do have some more questions on there. But thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been really awesome to dig into these things. These aren't easy questions to go. So you don't want to just throw out a couple of pat answers when there's other things to be said. So that's why we dig into these things. But I want to thank you guys for joining us, and if you guys want to join us on our patreon.com slash page as well and support that way, that'd be awesome. But thank you guys, and God bless you guys.
0: Love you guys. Press on in Jesus. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1 866 JC Truth. That's 1 866 528 7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.